0: Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who, in turn, disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I am the director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries.
1: And I'm Steve Matskar. I'm the director of Wesleyan Leadership, also at Discipleship Ministries.
0: And we get another opportunity to share the second part of our conversation with David Lowe's Watson in this episode. And, um, again, going to be another fountain of wisdom and mixed in with a little bit of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That's
1: one thing (laughs) I have always enjoyed about David Lowe's Watson is both of us appreciate Monty Python and the Flying Circus.
0: And see, I... Yeah, I got nothing. That that that's never appealed <laughs> to me. I, I always think I have a pretty good sense of humor, and I, I watched Life of Brian, which is what he's going to refer he's, to. He's going to
1: refer to Life of Brian, and yeah.
0: I, I watched it and just sat there going, you know, this is kind of funny, but I never found myself laughing. <laughs> so How about I missed the
1: Holy it. Grail. Did you see that?
0: I, of course, my, my son, my my teenage son has. Uh, discovered this and watched it and laughs and rolls around on the floor and I just sit there going, yeah, this is pretty funny watching you laugh.
1: <laughs> and I even at the end of the interview, yeah, I told a story. I reminded David of his first sermon when he joined the faculty at West. It was in my senior year at Wesley Theological Seminary. He joined the faculty, and I was in the chapel choir when he gave his first sermon at in Oxnham Chapel at Wesley Seminary. And part of that sermon, he quoted verbatim, most of the dead parrot sketch by Monty Python with John Cleese and um yeah, forget the uh Was Michael he? Palin. Yep. And so I looked it up I got it on my phone because <laughs> you Scott had never seen, I couldn't believe that you've never seen the dead parrot sketch. So I get it on my phone and I, he yeah. watches it and I, he has this little sort of silly <laughs> grin on his face throughout the whole thing. And David and I
0: are just laughing out loud. Yeah. I don't know. And, 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 it's something wrong with me <laughs> and I'm okay with it, right? Because everybody else I know loves these movies and laughs and, and that, you know, obviously it's it's my problem and I'm, I'm okay with it.
1: It doesn't appeal to everyone. I know yeah. my wife doesn't get it either. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Um,
1: Speaks but, better for me. But today he's, uh, Scott's, he, he responds to a couple of really good, excellent questions from Scott yeah. um, at the beginning of this this part of the interview. And he'll talk a little more about, in detail, about the, the ministry of the class leader, um, what they actually did, and how mm-hmm. that worked, in, 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 both in early Methodism. And he, he will talk some um, about the class leader for today, in the church today, in the 21st century, which is really a lot of what I'm trying to mm-hmm. help churches and past and congregational leaders with today.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna stop talking, and we're gonna go right yeah, into the let's episode. let's get into it.
1: Well, David, thank you for being with us again for this mm-hmm. for the second part of um, this conversation. Um, and to begin this part two, um, my friend Scott has a question.
0: So, with your your great answers the first time, I was you know processing and processing, and what occurred to me is as you were describing the history of class leaders, um, as you described the the early class leaders, they were just going out and collecting money. Mm -hmm. But obviously as things progress, uh, they they sort of shift somehow to uh, those who are shaping hearts and minds. So how does that shift happen within class leaders, and what does their role look like? Mm
2: -hmm. Well, it really happened quite spontaneously. Uh, First of all, as they went around collecting the penny, a week, uh, they just wouldn't say thank you and then move on. I mean they would stay and talk and they would help people with their faith. Uh, it, it was really uh, a means of grace. So they were fulfilling that role already to some extent.
0: Okay.
2: Wesley saw this and then that combined with all of the other factors I mentioned earlier led Wesley to suggest that in fact they do it in meetings and not in visitation rounds but it it happened really quite spontaneously inasmuch as everybody in the societies and this is often forgotten everybody who was in the society to begin with had been influenced by early methodist preaching oh. and this preaching was some of it was done by clergy, like Wesley and his brother, but increasingly it was done by lay people. And in fact, there was a special date important for this April the second, seventeen thirty-nine. Okay. Now may twenty fourth, seventeen thirty-eight, big deal. Heart strangely warmed, big celebration in St. Paul's Cathedral in the 250th anniversary of this in 1988, a much smaller gathering took place on April the 2nd, 1739, which then was celebrated also in Bristol 250 years later. Hmm. And that was Wesley's decision to preach in the open air. Mm -hmm. And as he records it, I submitted it to be more vile. <laughs> I love that phrase. <laughs> that is translated in the new RSV as ridiculous or contemptible. Mm. But it refers to when King David was bringing the Ark back to Jerusalem mm. and his wife, Michael, who was a daughter of King Saul, his enemy, <laughs> upbraided him because he was wearing only an ephod, a loincloth. And she said, you know, you're making a disgrace of yourself. You've unclothed yourself in front of my handmaidens here. Right? And Wesley's take on this was that while he certainly was not indecent, he was behaving in a way that a lot of people did regard as indecent by taking the gospel into the open air. Okay. And that was the big step that he took also in Bristol well in 1989 a much smaller gathering took place about 150 people altogether the word had gotten round all over the world but Bishop Reuben Job and Raymond George the warden of the new room jointly unveiled a plaque on a brick wall close to where Wesley had first preached in the open air And that, I think, was a more Methodist gathering, quite frankly. Mm. Because the whole point of May the 24th is his heart had been warmed. Yes, in a Bible study. A year later, however, he took the bold step of preaching in the open air. And that means that the warmed heart is always to be tempered and formed and matured with disciplined discipleship. Without that, your experience can take you off into directions that do not necessarily comply with what Jesus of Nazareth was teaching. And when you look at the way in which Jesus taught, it wasn't to the crowds. Um, There's a Monty Python movie you may know at Life of Brian, in which jesus is portrayed as well it's the the beatitudes you know right. blessed. Yep. and you know if you know the movie <laughs> then people at the fringe of the crowd keep getting it wrong you know <laughs> blessed are the greek you know and blessed are the cheesemakers <laughs> but the whole point was that that's not how jesus did do the beatitudes anyway Mm. It says in the Matthew and Lucan account, he saw the crowds and went to a different place where his disciples came to him. And then he taught them. Mm. So the disciples were the ones who received the deeper teachings. The crowds enjoyed all of the things that were on the house. Okay. And that, I think, is one of the real central points of Methodism, that we have to keep in mind. We're called Methodists because there was a method to this. Mm. I know that they got the name from another group of people called Methodists, but still the word Methodist is still there. You have to have guidelines and rules which give a framework within which grace can grow and lead you on to Christian maturity.
0: So that was the the discipline of the class meeting. Yes. And so say a little more about the role of the class leader and how the class leader was the shaper of souls.
2: Well, first of all, let me read a little bit here from The General Rules, which were published in my hometown of Newcastle-upon-Tyne in 1743. Wesley said, In the latter end of the year 1739 eight or ten persons came to me in London deeply convinced of sin, desiring that I would spend some time with them and advise them how to flee from the wrath to come, which they saw continually hanging over their heads. To these, and many more as desired to join them, I gave advice from time to time, which I judged most needful for them, and we always concluded our meeting with prayer suitable to their several necessities, and this is how he describes the rise of the First Society in London and then Bristol and elsewhere. But he goes on, that it may be more easily discerned whether they are working out their salvation. Each society is divided into smaller companies called classes according to their respective places of abode. There are about 12 persons in every class, one of whom is styled the leader. It is the business of the leader, first, as we mentioned earlier, to receive what they're willing to give toward relief of the poor and also their contribution to the society, but then to inquire how their souls prosper. Mm. And listen to these words. To advise, reprove, comfort or exhort as occasion may require. That was the role of the leader. So, in fact, these rules, and he goes on, of course, to divide the rules into various categories. There's only one condition required for those who desire admission to these societies, and that's a desire to flee from the wrath to become, to come and be saved from their sins. But, wherever this is really fixed in the soul, It will be shown by its fruits. Therefore, first, those who continue to evidence their desire of salvation should do no harm, avoid evil in every kind. And he gives a list of the evils. (laughs) And then, secondly, first, do, do no evil. Where's the, where's the one I want here oh secondly by doing good especially to them that are of the household of faith employing them preferably to others helping each other and also that they should continue to evidence their desire of salvation by doing good to every person as possible and as far as possible to their bodies and to their souls finally thirdly to attend upon all the ordinances of god public worship the ministry of the word the lord's supper family and private prayer searching the scriptures and fasting or abstinence i've read from that fairly selectively but that was the framework do good avoid harm, use the means of grace. And the general rules went through multiple editions throughout Wesley's life.
0: Interesting, I know that.
2: Yeah, multiple editions. It was published as a a penny pamphlet. Everybody got a copy of those when they joined a Methodist society. Hmm. Therefore, what we have to remember is that first of all, People who joined a society did so primarily because they had either heard one of Wesley's preachers or Wesley himself preaching either in the open air or in a society building. Or secondly, they'd received the witness of an existing member Mm. and said, can I join as well? But notice what Wesley is saying. If you want to join us, you're welcome, but here are the rules. Now, it's not that Wesley played the heavy here, though he did sometimes, uh, when people were uh, stepping out of line, and uh, interesting, there was one of his preachers called Thomas Olivers, uh, who for a while was the preacher appointed to the society in my hometown of Newcastle upon Tyne. And Wesley found that he was not insisting that the class leaders followed these rules. And so he said, you're going to have to have them follow the rules. And Oliver's Oliver's replied, well, that probably means we're going to have to remove some people from our membership roles, and we don't want to do that. And Wesley said, well, if they're not following the rules, you have to. Mm. And Oliver's notes, this is from... The lives of the early Methodist preachers he notes after that some of my closest friends became my enemies
0: oh, wow. mm.
2: in other words it, it's not a word that I would often use about this but there was a muscularity to this mm. in other words the body of Christ has muscle it has strength and virility mm. okay But, along with that comes the blessing of an inward assurance, the joy of Christian fellowship, and I think where the class leader could find a role today is to bring back that muscularity. I don't want to imply that this is going to be like a football game, (laughs) but on the other hand, a body cannot function without muscle. And if the body is simply wanting to get bigger, we know what that means. You're overweight. And frankly, the pastors that I have met and the congregations I have served, in some instances, are what I would call healthy as a body. There are some, however, that are carrying an awful lot of weight, that is not helping the body, (laughs) and this is where the pastoral role of laity becomes very important, Mm. because if you had class leaders, each of whom were pastorally responsible for a subgrouping of the congregation, then I think our congregations would be much more healthy. Now, Stephen, I know of a church in Washington, D.C., Asbury United Methodist Church, which used to be the flagship church of the old central jurisdiction. This may be something that is not directly relative here, but I think it's important. You see, when the Methodist Episcopal Church South reunited with the Methodist Church, one of the conditions was that a separate jurisdiction would be formed for the black churches. And for a generation that continued until finally it was abolished. Can you remember the year that the Central Jurisdiction was—was it— It It was 1972 when
1: the the union of the Methodist Church and the EUB, we became the United Methodist Church. No, that
2: wasn't the EUB union. It was the ME South and the ME. Oh, that was 1939. 39. Thank you, Yeah, 1939, the Central Jurisdiction was, was abolished. No, that was when it was formed.
0: Yeah, then it was abolished later.
2: Oh, well, that's right, I'm sorry, yes, formed, <laughs> we're going to have to edit this, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. This, the, the price of coming back together from the ME and the ME South rejoining was in '39. a central jurisdiction for all the black churches. It was in 1968 right. that the central jurisdiction was abolished. and the price the black church paid for that was that a lot of people who had achieved leadership in the Mm -hmm. central jurisdiction were suddenly deprived of that leadership Mm -hmm. I still meet people in African American congregations who say well under the old central jurisdiction I was head of this or I chaired this but not now because in my annual conference we're back to being a minority again in other words All of this happened in a way that revealed that if you're going to have discipleship it cannot be based on popular response. Mm. The reason that the central jurisdiction was formed was to avoid the opposition of people in congregations that did not want multiracial churches. Mm. But that then comes full cycle, and then you begin to find why it's so important not to simply get people involved, not simply to bring them in to a religious experience, but to give them a spiritual birth that must lead to spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity does not come with self-indulgence. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're at a point where Customer satisfaction has become the name of the game in the church. And anybody listening to this, I'm not saying that we should therefore make it unpleasant for people to come to church. We certainly shouldn't meet them at the door and say, here's the rules, now sit down and behave. (laughs) But nor, on the other hand, should we let them think that it's only to give them a personal experience. To make them overweight. Exactly. Exactly. Furthermore, there's a jump here that I think the church is ready to make. One of the books that's really impressed me over the years came out in the late 70s by the Uruguayan Juan Luis Segundo. The Community Called Church. I've used it many, many times. And in this, he says, the identity of the church is that some of us have been called and equipped to tell the rest of the world that they are being redeemed. Mm. Of course, some people say, oh, that's universalism. Well, I would say, yes, because that was the purpose of Jesus coming, to save Mm. the world. But you don't get saved by joining the church, necessarily. You get saved by Jesus Christ. Right. We're the ones who know that. So we're the ones who should be telling it. And as we do so, the only way that congregations can really fulfill that mission is to know what it means to be a Christian disciple. First, you need the commitment, the commitment to Christ but then you need to grow in grace as you follow his teachings. Steve mentioned a while ago in our conversation that covenant discipleship is a way to do that.
1: Right.
2: It commits you to a covenant, but it's a covenant that the group itself writes. It's not a rigid thing that's handed out. The group talks with weeks sometimes. And finally, draws up a covenant that says this is how we are going to fulfill our task as Christian disciples. Out of these groups could come the class leaders. Mm. But what would be needed for the class leader to reemerge are congregations, clergy and laity, saying this is how we are going to fulfill our mission. By finding the members in our church who have grown in grace, who have become more mature in their discipleship, and giving them a pastoral role to help others in the congregation do the same. So briefly, we got
1: a little bit of time left here. Um, If you could describe what you see as how class leaders, what a class leader would, how they could help a congregation, help lead a congregation today in their mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world.
2: I'd have to answer that in two ways. One, ideally what could happen, and number two, how probably it is going to happen. Mm. But if it's going to happen, ideally, it would be that a congregation would together accept lay leadership from those that they recognize as being accomplished in the Christian life. I don't by that mean what they've accomplished in this, that, and the other. I mean that they've grown in grace. And once you ask a congregation who these people are, they know who they are. They see them and they know that they've got a maturity. Then have the rest of the congregation agree to accept these people as a pastoral guide in living the Christian life. I don't think that class leaders would necessarily have to convene class meetings as in Wesley's day. I think rather, in our present setting, it would be more a pastoral link with people to ask how they are living the Christian life, do they need any help, any guidance, do they have any problems. This church in Washington, D.C., Asbury United Methodist Church, which was African-American, they adopted class leaders, I think about 20 years ago now, And they had about 50 of these class leaders. They assigned to each class leader 20 church members. And these class leaders just kept in touch with these 20 members to help them live the Christian life. Once a month on a Saturday morning, the leaders would meet with the clergy and take the pulse of the church. And that meant that the clergy were much more aware of everybody's pastoral life in the church, not just the ones with problems.
0: Ah, yeah.
2: Clergy, you see, are inundated with the problems or with those who want to be recognized for everything but their discipleship. <laughs> but if you have people with a recognized leadership role, my goodness, what that could do to enhance the work of the clergy. Ideally, that's what could happen. In practice, I think, to introduce this, there would have to be a concerted effort at annual conference level Mm. to introduce this first to the clergy and then to start looking for the class leaders. I don't think it can happen piecemeal any more than Wesley allowed class leaders to function on their own. The genius of Wesley was to recognize spiritual energy and then give it a channel that would keep Mm -hmm. it faithful to the gospel. Mm. And that's where the rules came in. Now, if you're measuring all of this by popular response and by personal experience, I'm not saying that that is necessarily a bad thing, I think it can be very beneficial. It just would not be properly Methodist. <laughs> well, David, this has been great.
1: Mm-hmm. And we really appreciate your time and your insight and wisdom and experience and your scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have to wrap this up.
2: And um, Well, if I could just respond briefly and say I'm just very yeah. heartened <laughs> that you're doing this. Because uh, I think that if there's a place in our church right now where this can be done, it is our General Board of Discipleship.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, all power to you. Well, that's what we're trying
1: to do here, David. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I, I tell people when I do workshops that I'm standing on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And um, deeply appreciate your work and your support. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you.
0: So there were several things that stick out to me in what he said, and, and um, you know, I learned a lot about the class leader, the way it worked, the way it functioned, and it, it helped me to begin to imagine what it might look like today, to ha- to have a church where we're intentional about raising up leaders who become intentional discipleship coaches. Now, that, that's sort of my word for, for this, right? Um Class leader, I think, I think, is synonymous in that. In well,
1: way, that's that's what I in my book. Okay, that's disciples where I got it from. Making then, disciples. That's do. where you got. You didn't even know it, Scott. <laughs>
0: it's so ingrained
1: you, that you, I, I write about <laughs> class leaders today as discipleship coaches. Okay,
0: that that probably is where I yeah. got it from then. And <laughs> and but I but as he was unfolding that, I, I think I was beginning to get a clearer picture of of what that might look like today, because I think that's so needed in in a in a system where we've become very church, I mean, clergy dominated, right? Yeah. And our people have been trained to re- will rely on the clergy to do this. And, and clergy, I think, have, have sort of figured out, nope, I, I've got to get this back to the laity and let them do this. But but how? what might that look like? And I think David gives us a picture mm-hmm. of within our Methodist roots, we have some ways of reclaiming this and releasing laity for ministry. Right. And I know Junius Dotson, our general secretary, has talked a little bit about this. So they're yes, the ones yeah. that are in ministry, in their workplaces, in their homes, and we need to release them to do this. And so that was extremely helpful and to e- me. Equip them. Equip them. To do it. Yeah. yeah. That that was, you know, David never used those words. I was waiting for him to say that. <laughs> but I, but he very much got at that concept, right, right. Of, yeah. of releasing the laity to be in ministry and, and that's part of our job. And, that, and, and it helped me to see the place and the role of small groups, right? And we talked about putting muscle on folks and the the, the, the role that discipline played in those class meetings mm-hmm. is so helpful for what small groups ought to be about today. And not just, as we've talked about in this, not just about curriculum, not just about studying something. I know if there's anything wrong with those things. But, but if we're not building, um, I'll put it, muscular christianity close to what he was saying um, that if we can help interject some discipline in our small groups
1: and i think w- when he was talking about the muscular christianity what he meant by that was that christ Christi- we have muscle mm. and 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 muscles need the discipline to exer- you know they need exercise right. and it's the discipline is what gives us you know the and the discipline is you know, he talks a lot about the general rules, the role, that's the role of the rules, the rule of life. That's our Methodist rule of life. And that's a guide to those basic exercises that help give tone and strength to our muscles. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what he was meaning by that muscular, you know, what is he, he, I think he used the word virility, Mm -hmm. um, that that's what that does. Is it gives us? It, it it gives us. We need to exercise and to to develop those muscles. Otherwise, they get atrophied and yeah, and they're useless. Yeah. Um. And and so that's part of the genius of the method. What you know, the method of Methodism. Yeah. And it equips those those disciples who can make disciples who yeah. disciple others.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that's what I like. What about what David said? Is he? together that enthusiasm part of John Wesley yeah. with the discipline part. Right. And those have to go together. And, and too often, I think we just see uh, the one, which is, do you have enough enthusiasm? Do you have enough feelings and emotions? Uh, but we don't ever interject the discipline to help really grow and build. Yeah. Um so that was very helpful for for me.
1: And that's you know that's how we grow in holiness mm, of you know yeah. it's and that's ultimately what this is about is growing yep. going you know that that maturity that Dave was talking about maturity in faith that Wesley writes about that, you know, that he also called Christian perfection mm. that's that's perfection in love holiness of heart and life that balanced
0: discipleship. Yeah. Yep. So you know, we could talk a lot more, but I think we yes. we can't add much more to what he, is, he has said. And so uh, we look forward to your comments. We hope you'll you interact with us. Tell us what struck you and what David has said and uh, maybe what you need uh, to learn more about. So we look forward to interacting with you. You can, um, as always, get in touch with us um, on Twitter is one way. You can find me at Rev Scott's Tweets and also at UMC Adult Form for adult formation.
1: And I'm at at... S. Manskar, at S-M-A-N-S-K-A-R.
0: You can find our email addresses and much more about us on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. And we look forward to interacting with you and being in ministry with you. And until next time, peace.
1: Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.